Hello, friends. Welcome back to a new episode of Psychology Concepts Explained. This is your host, Dr. Jack Truong. My doctorate degree is in counseling psychology. If you're new and if you're a student of psychology, uh, check out my early episodes where I have a series of lectures for introductory to psych as well as lifespan psychology. Uh, basically, the first couple years of uh, first two levels of college courses, I think we would call them. Okay, thanks for uh, dropping by. And uh, you'll see that after I completed most of these uh, lecture-related types of podcasts that I've been sort of winging it off the cup with a bunch of random topics from ranging from, I think, maybe tips that might help students further along their academic and uh, career. Um, and I have a, a list of topics ongoing, but... Today, I'm recording this pretty much off the cuff, uh, as you can tell by the title and the description. Um, well, I'll write the description after I record this, but uh, it's um, it's been a really tough few weeks. Um, you know, myself and my family, my wife is from Myanmar, and we're dealing with uh, the daily news that's coming from their country. Um in terms of the military coup and people getting shot and killed and the protests. So that's been occupying a lot of our time, specifically my wife's time, uh, pretty much day and night. And also we're communicating with our friends as much as possible. But today for myself, I want to talk about this, uh, a lot of the hate crimes that are, that are occurring in the United States. And I know I have an international listening audience. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, especially those who have been writing me consistently. I, I really enjoy those conversations, by the way. So whether you're listening from India, the UK, uh, Australia, or wherever you might be, um, I would like to hear from you. So this is a pers from the perspective of uh, myself. I grew up in the States, but just to back up a little bit, okay, so, just so you get my point of view, a little bit of my life history. I was actually born in Canada, my parents were Taiwanese immigrants. Uh, my dad went to Canada to study for his physics PhD. So at that time in the 60s, that was kind of rare for someone to emigrate out of Taiwan to study abroad. And so it was a very small group. And uh, he ended up in Canada because the American immigration laws were more strict. Otherwise, he probably would have been brilliant enough to get into any Ivy League school in the United States. But for my, in order for my uh, mom and older sister to follow along, he decided to go study at the University of Winnipeg in Manitoba, Canada. And that's where I was born because it's freaking cold there. And I guess, okay, I won't get into that. Um, then we moved to Connecticut in the United States in the Northeast. So I experienced a lot of wintry weather growing up with snow and all that. Um, finished third grade, we moved to Taiwan. My father uh, got a professorship job there in physics, of course. Uh, while in Connecticut, he had a really cool research lab that we would visit often and play with uh, liquid nitrogen and things like that. Anyway, so we spent four years in Taiwan. At that point, I did not know how to speak or read or write Mandarin Chinese, and that's where I went to public school to learn uh, four years. So I finished um, first year of middle school, seventh grade, and then we moved to Texas, in uh, North Texas. So from eighth grade onward, and I already knew how to speak English, obviously. I grew up in Connecticut, so English was my first language. But then I picked up Mandarin while living in Taiwan, 
and I spoke Taiwanese dialect at home, so I spoke that dialect before Mandarin. All right, to make a long story short, we came back to Texas, and I pretty much grew up here. I went to University of Texas um, for my undergrad degree, then University of Houston for my doctoral degree, and then we moved overseas uh, to live in Thailand and Taiwan and explore a lot of Southeast Asia for about five to six years, and then we came back to Texas for a while, mainly to have our daughter uh, have the experience of being in school here. And uh, so she's almost finished with her associate's degree, and she just turned 18. Okay, so anyway, now that you're caught up with my life in about five minutes of summary, let's go and talk about our topic for today, which is about the uh, violence against Asians and Asian Americans in the United States. So obviously, and this is not going to be very academic, I'm not going to go through a list of psychological principles and all that. Uh, to do an analysis. Um, I'm just going to speak to you from human to human. Um, I have nothing prepared, nothing written down. I'm just turning on the microphone and talking to you guys about it and my frustration about it. Uh, and I think we also have to realize that uh, whatever you're reading in the news, you know, ranging from the mild case of someone just making a, a rude comment to someone a racist comment, or to the escalating behavior of spitting, hitting, punching, pushing people over, and even killing people. Uh, and of course, in the past couple of days, you heard about the Atlanta, Georgia mass shooting that involved uh, several Asian victims. Now, we have to sort of clarify a little bit what we mean by Asian and Asian Americans. Obviously, there are Asian immigrants and I don't even like to use the term Asian because, you know, that's a, billions of people around the world are Asian, right? So, and there's a vast difference between someone who's from Myanmar, from the Philippines, from from Thailand to Taiwan to Japan and Korea, you know? And so, but in the United States, we're kind of lumped together, just like white people or Caucasians are lumped together, even though each... Caucasian, I don't even like to use the term white, but each Caucasian person has a distinct family history and origin story, right? So we have to recognize that. that That's what we do as human beings is that we simplify, make categories. I guess it is going to be a little bit academic. I can't help it. And it's so easy for us to create these in-groups and out-groups. Again, we learned that from social psychology. It doesn't take much. All it takes is... Uh, a name, a group name, um, a label, and suddenly you feel like you belong to this group and you start to favor that group and start to dislike people in other groups. It's that simple, really. Okay, Whether it's high school affiliation, college affiliation, the hometown you're from, the state you're from, right? We have all these multiple identities that we carry around with us. So even if we look similar, have the same kind of skin, same kind of hair color, we can still be divided but from a variety of reasons, whether it's religion and whether it's uh, political beliefs. Uh, and don't even get me started about politics. It's very, very frustrating. So, yeah, so, you know, the, you might go through your entire life and not witnessing this in, this kind of incident, right? And so if you don't see it, whether you're going to the grocery store, going shopping, whatever, in your daily life at your workplace, 
and you just don't notice it, you kind of assume it doesn't exist. But for those of us living in this skin, right, in our bodies, um, we do notice it and we're hypersensitive to it because we're forced to. Um, I'm sure you ask many people of minority background in the United States and ask them, you know, are you sort of on hyper alert sometimes when you're in public? I can tell you that I am, and I've never really been bullied and severely mistreated or discriminated against. I think, I think I've lived a very privileged life in America. Um, but what I have experienced are these little minor things, you know, what I think are minor, because obviously I've never been punched in the face, not that I'm asking for it, okay, you know, and never been spat upon, but I have been stereotyped, okay, just like many people have. And so while I know that I have not had that history of being a victim of violence, I know that that possibility is there. doesn't matter how remote I feel the possibility is, and you know these incidents are happening in highly populated Asian and Asian American areas. They're not in small town Iowa necessarily or small town Oklahoma. They're they're happening in like San Francisco Chinatown, right? And and we were just in Houston areas. Uh, I think they call it Asia Town now because it's not just Chinese people. And you should know that in Texas are are oh well I don't actually know the population statistics. This was a long time ago when I wrote my dissertation. But I think the Vietnamese are highest in number, followed by Chinese or Indian, people of Indian descent, uh, that is India, and uh, and so forth. But, oh, maybe I should have written a script or an outline. No, I'm kind of just, uh, just frustrated. So my point is that regardless of if you've experienced it, witnessed it, and all that, I want to focus on action and what we can do moving forward, okay? And I feel like people are, when it comes to race in America, people fall into kind of two camps. Those that are aware of it, those that have experienced it, you know, it's on our radar versus those who deny it and therefore is not on their radar because maybe they're part of the privileged class, they're part of... In their social circle, they just don't see it, right, for whatever reason. So if they don't see it, they don't feel like it exists. Out of sight, out of mind is what people say, right? So in terms of action, what we can do is that I feel like the key is that in public, you know, these are happening in public spaces, obviously, right? is that as bystanders, we really need to step up. We know that in psychology, in crowded places, we experience what's called diffusion of responsibility, right? The more people that are around, and then there's an incident that happens, we kind of look around. Each person feels a level of responsibility to help and intervene or to say something or do something, but that level of responsibility is kind of like a piece of the pie. It's divided up. And the more people there are, the smaller piece you own as that bystander or witness, right? So if you're the one of two people walking by someone in need, they're clearly injured or being harassed, right? So, of course, 
you assess whether or not it's a dangerous situation to intervene or not. And if it doesn't seem to be physically dangerous to intervene, then you're more likely to intervene and say something or do something if you're only one of two or three people witnessing this event, right? But if you're in a crowded place, crowded restaurant, and somebody's yelling at someone, or you're in line at the grocery store and someone is obviously stereotyping and harassing someone because they're Asian, of Asian descent, right? And unfortunately, a lot of people who are targeted are elderly or they're women, right? And so um, even with masks on, people can see the color of our eyes, the color of our hair, maybe even the shape of our eyes a little bit, the tone of our skin, figuring out that we're Asian and start harassing us for whatever reason, okay? Now, again... I can, I've gone through months and years without an incident happening to me personally. But the unfortunate thing is I feel the need to be on guard of it and to be um, wary of this happening. Okay? And I live in Texas. You know, I, I, I don't mind Texas. I like Texas. But we do have a reputation, right, of being a red state and all that. And for this, you know, and I have plenty of incidences growing up where people just don't know, they're ignorant, and they say stuff. It could range from kids to older folks just saying stuff regarding my ethnic heritage just because they don't know. So oftentimes my response is, you know, unless it's just directly um, someone trying to harm me, if it's just based on lack of knowing, like assuming I'm Vietnamese because, you know, we're in Texas or assuming I don't speak English, those kinds of things. I think a lot of people call those microaggressions. Uh, I would just call that stereotyping, whether or not they have malicious intent or not. I don't know, right? Um, I can't read their minds, but all I can go by is their actions and what they say. We were traveling not too long ago, um, cross-country on a road trip in our, our little camper van. And uh, we were at a national park, and we're on, I think it was one of the caves. And, you know, we're a family of three. We're just wandering around, and then we approach um, some other people, and then there's a couple, elderly Caucasian couple, and the man looks at us and says, Konnichiwa, right, with his hands up, you know, in that way position. Uh, I think it's pronounced why. I forgot now. Why or way that the Thai people do. I lived there for so long, and I, and I totally forgot how it's pronounced. And so, yeah, you know, how, how how do I respond to that when someone looks at me and says, Konnichiwa, assuming I'm a Japanese tourist, obviously. So I could assume, being the nice, positive person that, that I am, for those of you who've listened to more than my podcast, you know that I'm kind of a nice guy. At least I hope you think so. I'm going to assume that the guy just assumes that I'm a Japanese tourist. He's probably trying to be nice, right? And uh, and the thing is, is that a lot of times in public places, I feel like I need to be mentally prepared, prepared for a comeback in those situations. You know how quarterbacks in American football often have a list of plays written down and taped to their wrist or forearm, right? And they look down on it and say, okay, we're going to do play number five or whatever, right? And I feel like I need a list of these comebacks in my head that resembles sort of a list right on my wrist so that if somebody says something stupid or offensive to me, I can just 
look down and say, oh, yeah, well, <laughs> your mama wears army boots. You know, whatever. Okay, I can have a com- a comeback. And a lot of times, uh, you know, I, I, I'm frozen because I'm like just a little surprised or startled or or whatnot. But I, I, I'm sure if you ask a lot of your friends, you know, whether they have this mindset, I'm sure they do. That, oh, yeah, I'm ready. If somebody says something, I'm going to say this, you know. Um, and and there's a there's a list of things people will say that I feel like I need to prepare for, you know, whether they mistaken me for this, whether they say, oh, you speak good English, you know, and and all that. Okay. Um, and I think a big part of this has to do with the fact that, you know, someone who is who looks visibly Asian of Asian descent living in America. You're going to be looked at as if you're a recent immigrant, okay? And I'm telling you, a lot of this stereotyping doesn't have to come from just Caucasian people. It can come from Hispanics. It can come from Europeans. It can come from black folks, okay, African-Americans. It can come from fellow Asian people, okay? Because some of you may not know, within the Asian community amongst the subcultures and different countries of origin, there's a hierarchy, Okay? There is a perceived hierarchy of uh, nationality, right? It's part of this sort of national pride and ethnocentrism. So if I'm of Taiwanese descent or if I'm Chinese or if I'm Korean, then I look down on others from Asia. Uh, if I'm from Japan, I might look down on those from Southeast Asia who have darker skin tones or from a poorer country, right? Uh, I've literally had extended relatives living in Houston tell me you know, almost verbatim that, oh, yeah, you know, we're shopping for a house. We're looking at different neighborhoods because, you know, we want to be in a neighborhood with the good foreigners, not the bad ones. Okay. The good Asians, not the bad Asians. You know, this, this happens. So no one is immune from this mindset of seeing other people as others and putting them down, seeing them as less human. So one thing we need to do is to rehumanize, have the mindset of not judging, because it is mentally easier to put people in categories, make really fast judgments about their behavior based on their appearance or age or whatnot, uh, whatever social categories you can come up with. It's easier to make those judgments and assessments of people quickly to stereotype rather than to not stereotype. It's mentally, cognitively, it takes more effort to not stereotype people, to not make quick judgments, right? Not to rush to conclusions. And so that's why it is so hard. That's why this, um, that's why education is so important. That's why I love teaching psychology because we can talk about this in an academic setting for students to gain some insight as to how we make these quick mental judgments, how our mental processes work, how we can slow them down. So as a society, in a global community, we're a victim of our brains. We're a victim of how our brains function because with so much information out there, it just makes life easier when we can clump information into larger categories than smaller categories, right? And oftentimes we make the worst judgments with so little information. 
about other people. So we make these categories, we clump people into various groups, and these are the groups I belong to, and those are the groups that I don't like and I don't belong to. So again, whether it's politics, whether it's gender, whether it's race, whether it's age, we all can come up with reasons and a, and a bias, right? A favorability, a way of thinking that favors our own group, and then we find reasons to, and again, it's not hard, finding reasons to dislike another group. It could be, I'm always amazed that, you know, a lot of Americans are get annoyed when they hear people with an accent of some kind, right? Or in a public place, hearing people speak a different language, right, other than English, and they get annoyed. And sometimes people even will say something out loud. Hey, you're in America, speak English, right? Um, and, I, and I'm really amazed by that because that's just a, really a lack of understanding of what America is and how America was created, right? Uh, if you look at footage you know, or just talk to people who are immigrants and who are newly minted Americans, right? They earn their citizenship, okay? And I'm going to tell you on average, statistically, this is my guess, okay? This is just a projection, of my thoughts, they will probably know a lot more about American history and government than the average American-born person who's also a citizen, okay? Now, that's just a generalization, but, you know, passing the citizenship test is not easy, okay? I gained my naturalization in 1976. That's a great year to do that, by the way, in American history. That's a bicentennial, right? 200th anniversary so but I earned it as a child based on my residency I don't recall being at that age of nine taking the citizenship test okay so so my process was a bit different so as adults who do that and the thing is is that being American really is not so much about an ethnic identity but the reality is being American, this might apply to a lot of countries around the world, right, that have a lot of waves of immigration. So you have a lot of people of different backgrounds and different uh, countries of origin mixing together generation after generation, right? And the reality is, is that for American Americans, immigrants really do assimilate. I think a lot of Caucasian people who have been here many generations who see newer immigrants, their assumption is, is that Oh, they can't assimilate. You know, they're not going to be able to blend in and be American. But what they don't realize is that being American is about believing in the American ideas of freedom, right, and opportunity, right? It's not so much about your country of origin, of you know, that you have to be Anglo-Saxon to be American, okay? You can be Caucasian and be a traitor to America, and you can be of... Um, South Asian descent and be a vice president in America, right? I mean, so it doesn't really matter. I, I've been so tempted to create this podcast without putting my name on it, my, especially my, my last name, just to and not talk about my ethnicity and to see how far I would go where people would just assume that I'm Caucasian or, or at the very least not Asian, Right, and and I'm pretty sure a lot of people probably would, because that's the default, right? 
when I teach multicultural topics and those kinds of classes, I, I do my best to be inclusive. And I think this is where we need to go. This is just my personal opinion. This is where we need to go to create a better environment for us, for everybody, is that we cannot just exclude the majority culture in the discussion of diversity. We cannot, when we talk about diversity, we cannot only talk about this phrase, people of color. White is a color, right? So people of color is really everyone, okay? But what we're talking about is a minority versus majority culture. And those in the majority culture, Caucasian, we can say white in America, you have a different life experience, a life history than those of us who we now call people of color. Well, not now, but, you know, that we tend to be labeled as people of color, black, Hispanic, Asian, okay, and uh, Native American, okay. And I think there are those who believe that by talking about these groups in this way, it's making the problem worse because it causes division the more we separate people into groups. But I, I believe that we do have to talk about it, but in the right way. So I'll talk more about this after a short break. Hello, friends. Let me take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast. Let me talk to you a little bit about searching for happiness or trying to achieve goals and oftentimes life and circumstances and other reasons get in the way. So BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating with your therapist within 48 hours. And it's not a crisis hotline, okay? And it's not self-help. It's actual professional counseling, but it's done securely online. You have access to BetterHelp's network of over 20,000 counselors with a wide variety of expertise and training. And this is also about accessibility, if you don't have a counselor in your area to see in person, then this could be a great solution for you. So this service is available for clients worldwide, and you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. So again, accessibility. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as in traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so, and they make it easy and free if you want to change counselors if necessary. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit BetterHelp.com. That's better. H-E-L-P dot com slash psych explained and join the over 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health with the help of experienced mental health professionals. And there's a special offer for my Psychology Concepts Explained listeners. You can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash psych explained. You can see the link in the show notes. 
Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Psychology Concepts Explained. All right. So when I say we need to talk about it, I don't really mean that we should have the expectation that we're going to change hearts and minds of everyone to be on the same page and be open and accepting and uh, understanding, right? That's a little bit too far-fetched and idealistic, even for me. Um, but I think if we come back to this idea that, you know, in, in most countries, including the United States, there are a lot of wounds and from conflict in this country's history. And to get over those wounds and to heal, using this analogy, you have to acknowledge that it's there. You cannot heal from a wound if you deny that the wound even exists. So yes, we have to talk about it, but not in so much of a preaching way, not in so much of a cancel culture way. I, I kind of hate that term anyway. kind of reminds me of road rage. In other words, it's a behavior that's always existed, but now that we have a fancy label for it, we, we assume it's something that's new. Uh, you know, road rage, people drive crazy. I mean, been doing that forever, right? Even shooting guns out of their car, but suddenly we have a label for it, and then it becomes a uh, a bigger issue than it, than it is. Um, I think we've always been canceling people for whatever reason, and now we just, it's, it's used, I think, as political football. Um, all right, so let me get back on track here. I think let's go I want to use this idea of acceptance because I think this is what helps me is that it helps me to accept that a person is the way they are because that's who they are at this moment in time. So it kind of tempers my expectations of every given situation and it lessens the burden on me that somehow I need to change people. Somehow I need to change this other person. Uh, I need to persuade them to think like I do. Okay. So, for example, if someone uses the term oriental to describe an Asian person, you know, we most of us know that that's an outdated, inappropriate term to use in terms of describing a person. And for the person who uses that term, oriental, they may not even recognize. Now, for some, it might be intentional, but for others, it may be a term they're used to using. I've even heard older Asian Americans use the term oriental to describe Asian people, right? So it's not necessarily a racist term by intention. So if I hear that in conversation, in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, what am I going to do? Am I going to correct the person? Oh, don't use that term. That's offensive, right? Uh, if it's a colleague, do I, you know, do I go ahead and report them and try to cancel them? No. I mean, at a personal level, I feel like these are all learning moments. Now, whether that person's open to learning, that's up to them, Okay. And I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to lecture people like that in a one-on-one -on -one conversation when that comes up. I mean, if I have a way of rephrasing it, speaking from my own point of view, I just won't repeat that term 
and I'll use a different term. Just like the konnichiwa example, right? I mean, that person probably is another tourist or maybe they're a little bit more local. It doesn't really matter where they're from. It's just that their perception of me was that I'm a Japanese tourist because of my appearance. Now, I could go into a long diatribe and talk about multicultural theory and immigration history and all that kind of stuff and stereotyping, but that's not appropriate for me to do either. So I just need to accept the fact that, okay, that person had that perception of me. All I can do is present myself the way I am. Okay, So I just responded with, oh, from where I'm from, I'd say howdy because I'm from Texas. Okay, Now, I said that in a friendly way. It wasn't confrontational, but I can hear in the... And under his breath, he said, oh, everything has to be about political correctness, right? So this is what um, I find interesting about how people use that term political correctness uh, almost as an excuse to be rude and be hostile to other people. Um, So on the one hand, I kind of understand the attraction to not wanting to be politically correct because there's an assumption that if you're politically correct you're just appeasing people and you're not being straightforward and honest and saying what you really feel but then the other end of it is you know just go ahead and call every asian person by greet them by konnichiwa and that's okay you know because i'm not being politically correct right so i think there there's an opportunity for people to learn but it's not up to us to be able to reprogram that person at that moment, right? So, you know, I've run into people throughout the course of my life. You know, one example was in Houston. I was riding mass transit through the medical center. Uh, I think I was a research assistant, graduate research assistant at the time. I struck up a casual conversation from someone who asked me, you know, where I'm from. I said, oh, you know, my family's from Taiwan. And they said, oh, I have a lot of Vietnamese friends too. Okay. So, you know, again, I'm not going to pull out the globe and start to point out that that's a different country. It's just an acknowledgement. I accept the fact that this person just did not know and that they weren't being hostile. But I want to focus on what we can do, right? And I think what we can do is to be kinder to one another. Um, And I know that sounds overly simplistic, but that's my approach when I'm interacting with people I don't know, whether it's a cashier, uh, someone in the service industry, a neighbor, right? My doctor, my dentist is to, uh, my motto is to kill them with kindness, okay? And it's not fake. It's just me, but just amped up a little. Because from my perspective is that if you're still going to be hostile towards me after I've been friendly to you, then that's on you. Right, I did not bring that upon myself. Not to say that anyone, I'm not blaming the victim, okay? People who have been harassed is not because they brought it upon themselves. It's just that I'm putting the onus on the person I'm interacting with because I am going to treat you with nothing but respect. And if I don't get that in return, then that says more about you than about me. And that's just how I operate. So... I always err on the side of giving people the benefit of the doubt and probably a little bit too much if you ask my wife. Um, Whenever there's a contractor or mechanic, you know, any kind of service person that I interact with where I'm the customer, you know, 
I think I have this overwhelming need to be liked or or to want to make new friends and I'm overly friendly and she's like no 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 you got to stick it you know <laughs> stick to business don't be and so we kind of have this good cop bad cop routine going with sometimes um so yeah I I don't have a lot of too much wisdom I think to give out all I can tell you is my opinion and how I see things and um, you have to come to your own conclusion. And uh, chances are with this kind of podcast, with this kind of title, I'm preaching to the choir, as we say in America. Right? Most of you probably already agree with what I'm saying. So I'm not really reaching the people that really need to hear it. But that's okay. That's just the way it is. And um, uh, it's unfortunate that with all this technology and social media, we often find ourselves in our little echo chambers, as we were calling them, our little bubbles, our comfort zones. And uh, But I think for you college students, use that as an opportunity to be curious, right? But don't treat someone who is in a different ethnic category or gender that, of your own and, and assume that they're the expert, right? So if I'm the only Asian person amongst my Caucasian friends, like in grad school, um, I found myself in that kind of environment where I'm definitely a minority of a minority, then I don't want people to see me as like some sort of expert. Say, hey, Jack, you're Asian. What do you think about, <laughs> you know, what do Asian people think? I, I don't represent everybody who looks like me. Okay. And I think there are a lot of people who look like me. No, no kidding. I searched on Facebook. There are a lot of people named Jack Chuang out there. It's kind of weird. So anyway, I'm devolving. This conversation is kind of devolving, but I just want to give this message to everyone that this is what I'm thinking about. This is really heartbreaking to see, um, but I have to sort of strike this balance that not everyone is hostile toward Asian Americans and Asians, not everyone in my neighborhood is racist, not uh, everyone is out there, you know, looking to hurt me, Okay that these still are fairly rare statistical kind of events, but when they do happen, they're serious in that it is okay to take precautions. It is good to be mindful that these situations happen. And for those of you non-Asians out there, right, and you hear the word ally being used a lot, I'm going to add the word bystander because chances are you're not going to be the target of this harassment, this anti-Asian harassment. But if you're in an environment where there's any hint of it happening, right? no matter how slight, whether someone talking amongst themselves in a derogatory way about another person in line at the grocery store, step up and say something. Because as long as bystanders do nothing, then that means you're your inaction equals um, condonement, equals agreement. You're, you're tacitly approving of that action, okay? Um, but if you show a little resistance and support, and you've seen a lot of these videos out there, right, on social media. I mean, it's been happening, especially post-pandemic, it's been happening a lot more often, more frequently, statistically. And... You've seen people being harassed. You know, post 9-11, it was people of Middle Eastern descent. Anyone who 
is wearing clothing that re that, re that represents their uh, religion have been harassed. Um, so lately, it's people of East Asian descent who are being harassed. And, and oftentimes what I see is a lot of inaction from bystanders, whether it's in a restaurant, people having a verbal shouting match, and, and people just sit there and do nothing. It could be on a subway or, or public transportation, a lot of people sitting around doing nothing. Occasionally, maybe there's a heroic guy who comes up and stands up for someone. But if collectively we do that, each time there is an instance, right, if we have the courage to do that without hopefully putting yourself in physical harm, okay, isn't it worth it? Wouldn't, wouldn't you want to be treated like that? You know, my mom passed away several years ago, but when I see an elderly Asian woman in these videos being attacked, pushed to the ground, you know, I see my mother being pushed to the ground. Now, if you're non-Asian and you see this on television or in, in a video, what what are you thinking? Is that just, oh, you have some empathy and sympathy, but is that it? Do you ever, does it ever cross your mind that that could be my relative, my family member, my sister, my grandma, my grandfather, right? And so... The more we can make these connections at a human level that regardless of religion and and age and ethnic origin, right, that we can somehow regain the humanity to rehumanize how we perceive other people. I think that's one step in the right direction, right? So if you're ever wondering, well, what can I do? I'm just one person. I'm just... I'm just a freshman in college, I'm just this, I'm just that. Well, that's what you can do, is that you can be the active bystander, not the passive bystander. You amongst your friends, you discuss it, right? If you're out with your friends walking around and you see someone being harassed, you as a group can be very powerful in that situation. Maybe as an individual, you know, there might be some threat might be some danger involved, so you may not want to physically intervene. I understand that, of course. But if you're with a group of three or more and you see something like that action, your your group can be very powerful if you just speak up. If you protect that person who's being harassed or being attacked. Okay. Um, they're your they're your neighbor, they're your fellow countrymen, okay? They're your fellow human being. That's what's most important. So what I often say is we can only control what we can control. And what we can control is our perceptions of other people. What we can control is how we act. Excuse me, how we act towards other people, how we respond in situations, even our body language just showing of support. That's that's a very courageous thing that anyone can do. Okay, So this is about everyone. This is not just an Asian problem. This is not just a white supremacist problem. Right? Or um, this is a problem for all of us. I think too often when we see situations like this that affects a different community than our own, we think, oh, well, that's their problem. Too bad for them, right? 
or if a law favors you and doesn't favor someone else or a policy, right, or political perspective, we're okay if it favors us and it hurts other people. But, you know, some days those tables will turn, unfortunately. And you would want someone to back you up, to be an active bystander for your, for yourself. In any case, thanks for your patience. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your uh, understanding and knowing that I'm just speaking from the top of my head, the bottom of my heart about this situation. And uh, again, if you're prolific on social media, try to send positive message out there of support, right? Support Asian businesses. I mean, and again, it's not just non-Asian people who are avoiding Chinatowns or Asia towns in major cities. There are other Asian people who are perpetuating the same idea. Trust me, this kind of uh, bias occurs in lots of people, a variety of backgrounds. It's not a simple us, them, and us is one color and them is another color. There's a whole rainbow full of racism out there that's happening. And so... Anyone is capable of this anti-Asian kind of of uh, stereotyping and, and hatred. So, you know, we purposefully, when we had the chance, we go to our local Asian small businesses to help them out, you know, just as we would help out any small businesses, but for them in particular, because they're being excluded or targeted and uh, unfairly, of course. Okay, guys, I'll talk to you soon. I'll try to get organized and put out some uh, new episodes. I think I talked about in one episode that the next one's going to be applying to graduate school. <laughs> and, of course, that didn't happen. I'm talking about this. So the next one I have in line will be about applying to graduate school in psychology and how you can, hopefully with my experience of of going through graduate school and being on a selection committee as well as being an applicant as a student, Maybe some of my experiences can help you out in that regard. Okay, everyone, take care. Hey there, thanks for listening to this podcast today. Can you do me a big favor? Um, Just so that this podcast gets heard by more students of psychology and other people interested in the field, Uh, Go to Apple Podcasts and put a little rating there if you like and uh, a brief uh, review, okay? And you can also contact me directly using the links in the description, whether it's Twitter or email, with any suggestions or feedback that you may have to make the show better. And uh, if there are any topics you want me to talk about, I can add them. And if you want to support me by buying me a coffee, the methods are listed in the description as well. Again, thanks and have a great day.